help and convince these three over here to not not join the other side, but but maybe narrow the gap to five centimeters. Wonderful. We are going to start, uh, but before we do, we need a Bible reading. Um, I need a father to read it. Uh, Mark, could you come forth? Um, it's at the wrong place now, I'm afraid. Um, no, no, you don't have to move. <laughs> um, we'll pass the offering bags around during the last song. Uh, for those of you that thought I had forgotten, I had. Oh, my wife's in Sunday school.
thank you. It was almost a very short sermon. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us and that you are good to us. Please help us understand this. Lord, so often we don't interact with you as we ought. We treat you as less than God. We treat ourselves as more important. Father, please help us to know that you are God. You are good and you are kind and you are loving. And We have not come to a mountain that is shaking with fire and, and thick clouds, but we have come to you, Lord to the new city, to the people of God, to your kingdom. And yet you are a consuming fire. Lord, help us to know that you are God. Speak to us, I pray. Open our hearts and our minds. We have prayed in song to be changed. We have prayed that you would bring your kingdom to, to reality in this place and in our hearts. Lord, we've, we've wondered at the fact that you can love us and that you would save us and that we are part of you. But, but please open our eyes. Lord, make Make our prayers a reality, Lord, that we would know that you are good and you are God and you are for us and we are yours and that we interact with you as we should because you are God and you are God alone. And we thank you for that. Speak, I pray, Father. Um, I pray that you would use what I'm going to say today, Lord, not because of anything except your love. Open our hearts. Amen. We're back to, uh, we're, we're taking a one-week break from Romans, and we're returning to our mini-series of how we interact with God and the different options that we have. Um, I don't have the book. Mr. Colin has my book at the moment. Uh, I bought an electronic copy, so I can't hold it up for you. Um, but it's the book With by Sky Jatani. If you, you enjoying it, Colin? If you want to read it, read it. It spoils the sermons to read it, but read it. Um, if you listen to my sermon, you don't understand it, read the book because I'm, I'm drawing very heavily from what he says in his third chapter today. Um, fantastic book. In fact, I read it and I said to Taryn, Taryn, I'm going to change the sermon plan and I'm going to do this book because I think we need to hear it. I needed to hear it, and I wanted to share it with you guys as well. So we've already seen uh, two of the wrong ways that we can approach God. We've, we've seen that we can live life under God. And a life under God sees that at the center of the universe, uh, what keeps everything ticking along and happening is the, the capricious will of the gods. Uh, so we're not dealing just with Christianity, we're dealing with religion, how people deal with God. And, and, and life uh, under God is kind of saying we can get God to look after us by following his do rules and doing his rituals. And, and we think about the Hindus and we think about the, all the Eastern religions and we think about the Muslims. And then we thought, actually, no, us in the church, we can also slip into this way of relating with God. If I'm good enough, if I go to church enough, if I do all the right things, God will be happy with me and my life will go well. And we saw actually God's not really interested in us trying to control him like that. If we do this, then God must do this. No, says God, 
I want to actually have a relationship with you. And so that's, that's, that's a wrong way to relate with God, and it actually doesn't work if we treat God just as someone who we have to placate. And then we saw a few weeks later that there's another option, which is the life over God option. So the one we're under God trying to get him to do something to make us happy. The other one, we're sitting on top of God going, well, actually, yes, maybe God made the universe, but in reality, does he actually need to be involved right now? And we go, but we're Christians, Nick. Of course God needs to be involved. But we saw actually it's possible for us to call ourselves Christians, but to live more as if all that is needed is to understand how God works. So if we understand all the rules that God has put in place, then we don't actually need him anymore. If you understand, where's Steve? Steve knows how a car works. I don't. I go to a mechanic. Steve fixes his own car. And that's that's the kind of life over God rules. Yes, God maybe set it all up and God did it all, but but actually we know how it works, so so we don't really need God anymore. We don't pray when we get sick, we go to hospital, Um, which is not a bad thing to do, but, but when we push it too far and we go, yes, it's all about the rules and not about the one who set them in place. And God turns and says, yes, I've, I've put principles in and I've, I've done all these laws of nature and I've, I've made science possible, but in the end, I want to have a relationship with you. And so that's the wrong way, and it doesn't work either. God is a person, not a principle. Today we're looking at the third option, which is life not under, not over, but life from God. And if I can sum it up in one word or one sentence, life from God places myself at the center of the universe. Life over God puts this capricious God at the middle. Life over God puts principles and laws at the center of the universe. Life from God puts me at the center of the universe. And I think the story of the lost son is a a, a great portrayal of this way of relating to God. We see here in, in verse 12, we don't see there, that's the end. We see there in verse 12 that the son goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And it was actually quite able it, it wasn't uh, an impossible thing for the father to decide to distribute his property among his sons when he wanted to there was some conventional wisdom if you read the the book of sirach that says don't do that because you might have to ask for it back when you get poor but the dad was able to give his money away whenever he wanted to now normally you get an inheritance when the person who's giving the stuff away dies but there can be exceptions he can distribute it upon request. But even today, and especially then, to ask for my share of the inheritance is incredibly disrespectful. It's saying, Dad, I want your stuff. I'm not really interested in you so much, but you've got a nice car. Or I really like your stuff. I like your goat. I like the fattened calf. Dad, I wish I wish I was free of you. As the younger son, he would have been entitled to about a third of the estate according to 
Deuteronomy. But it's not so much the amount that's important here, but the attitude that this young man valued his father less than the stuff his father could give him. Who's a father again? Happy Father's Day, by the way. I I hope your kids have probably gone through a stage like this. This young man, I hope not actually. If they have, there is hope. This young man only wanted what his lovely father, generous father, gracious father could give him. And when he had it, the relationship wasn't necessary anymore. And so he leaves home. He goes off to a faraway country and he lives it up. He has this wild life, the sort of thing that you would invent gossip magazines so that you could write about, younger son goes to party. That's the sort of life he lives. Nightclubs, dancing, boozing, prostitutes. Well, that's what the older brother says. We Probably right. This man is just, he's going nuts. Um, It's like he's been kept at home under his dad's control, and now he said, Dad, I've had enough of you, and I'm going, and he just goes totally off the rail. We all know of people who do that. This man makes it even worse by first gouging his father for all that he can. But what about his brother? Goody, goody, two shoes, the older brother. He stays at home. He slaves away. Notice the language that he uses. The younger son at the end comes back and says, "Uh, please make me a hired servant. The older son says, I'm not just a hired servant. I've been your slave all this time. That's what he says there in verse 29. The younger son leaves saying, I want your stuff, dad. The older son stays at home. And when the younger son comes back, he gets into a huff. Why? Because it's his stuff that's getting used up on this young man. Dad, I'm not really interested in you and your joy that your son has returned. Dad, I just want your stuff. The older son is just like the younger son. The only difference is that the older son, being older, is a bit more patient. I can wait until you knock yourself off, Dad. that, That sounds horrible. I can wait until you fall off your perch, Dad. That sounds better, doesn't it? (laughs) The younger son wants it now. The older son says, I'll have it later, but at the end of the day, I want your stuff. Our culture is one that is very, very much defined by consumption. In fact, if we were to stop spending money, our economy would flop. Do you remember what, what we did during the financial crisis? What, what our government did? They gave us all a $900 check and said, spend. Because if you spend, we won't be in trouble anymore. We're, it's all about spending. It's all about spending money we don't even have. We are consumers first. And unfortunately, that flows on to our relationship with God. I think we can see God, I love how Skyjitani puts it, he says we can see God as a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. 
God exists to help us through our problems and to help us achieve what we want to achieve. He is a holy vending machine who gives us what we want when we want. And as consumers, our focus is on ourselves because as we are told time and again, we are worth it. Our focus is on our happiness. Our focus is not on glorifying God. Our focus is not on our Father. Our focus is not on obedience to Him and loving Him and serving others. In fact, the value of everything is determined by how useful it is to me. And this is true when it comes to people. If a relationship isn't satisfying to me, well, we'll get another one. It's easy that, isn't it? Why are there horrors in the world today like slavery? And there is slavery today. And abortion and sex trafficking and euthanasia. Well, isn't it possibly because people are just seen as stuff. They don't have a value in and of themselves. They are valuable if they are useful. And what about God? Well, well, don't we sometimes think of God the same way? Is God useful? It's not that God is valuable in and of himself so much. We can fall into the trap of thinking, but is God useful to me? And so our catch cry is, Lord, what have you done for me lately? And when God stops doing nice things for me, then God's not really useful for me anymore, so why bother? I wonder how we would go if we were sitting in ISIS land, where all of a sudden it seems like God is not I'm a Christian and so my life's going pretty smooth and all of a sudden people are wanting to kill me and I go, well, God, you're not really being much use to me anymore, so I'll just go over there. That's more useful because it means I'm alive. This is, this is so easily the consumer mentality that we can bring to God. It's, it's so easy for us to, to become like the lost son and like his older brother and value God not for what he is and who He is, but for what He can do for us. And, and yes, we can come to church and we can praise God with our words, but, but so often our hope is not on who He is, but on what we can get from Him. We want heaven. But if God has to go out for the day, we don't mind. We want God to keep us safe. We want God to keep us secure. We want God to give us food. We want God to give us everything that we need. In fact, let's push it a bit further. We want God to give us what we want, please. And there is some truth uh, in this. Uh, God does supply what we need. Jesus says to us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He says, ask God to give us our daily bread, what we need for the day. And, and God does give us good gifts and he does give us what we desire. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Um, the hearing aid, what a wonderful example of God just graciously saying, here's, here's the hearing aid. 
Now, in, in the story, the father allows the younger son to disappear with his share of the family estate. Um, he gathers everything. Um, the New Living Translation says he packs all his belongings, but, but if you look at the literature around the time, that, that sort of wordiology um, parallels to the idea of converting your assets into currency. And so basically, he was selling off a third of the estate, and the shame that would bring on the family. Sells it off, goes to strangers, cashes it in, and says to his dad, I wish you were dead. And the father doesn't swat him around the face. You know, disrespectfulness, according to uh, the law of Moses, is a capital crime disrespecting your parents but the father doesn't say right let's deal with you my lad the father just gives him what he asks for he doesn't god doesn't force himself on us you see it's possible for us to relate to god in such a way that that getting what god gives us is the sum total of our religious lives of our relationship with god and, you know, we can ask God for good things. But we can still be treating him as a means to an end. Because it's about what I want, not about God and what he wants. Make me rich. Has anyone prayed that? Has anyone prayed, heal me? Has anyone prayed, help my family, keep me safe? Make me happy. Good things, aren't they? But when asking God for stuff is the sum total of how we relate to God, what we're doing is saying, God, what is important is me, and you must just do what makes me happy. The creature is greater than the creator. We're rebelling just like Adam and Eve. Uh, the most extreme form of uh, this sort of life from God is, of course, the prosperity uh, gospel. We're not going to focus too much on this, but have a listen to, to Joyce Meyer. Um, now, I've mentioned her before, but let me say, uh, Joyce Meyer is, is in need of going to Syria. She says, and this is a quote, Who would want to get in on something where you're miserable, poor, broken, ugly, and you just have to muddle through until you get to heaven? I believe God wants to give us nice things. Amen? Good. Have a listen. You know Joel Olstein. I've mentioned him before, megachurch pastor. Um, I'm not sure I would classify his church as a church. Um, listen to what his wife said. God, this morning, encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves. Because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives Him the greatest joy this morning. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. Because that's what makes God happy. Amen. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. 
now she's come back. And, and you, know what, you know what the horrible thing about all this is? There's a kernel of truth. God wants us to be happy, yes. But what is being happy? Being happy is being with Him. Having a relationship with Him. Why are you at church today? Are you here because God needs you to be here? Or are you here because you want to be? Is it all about you? And yes, you know what? Coming here, coming to church should be a, a thing that makes us happy. But not because of the hype and the brilliant music. But because God's here. Can you hear what she's saying? It's about me. It's about what God can give me. I don't do it for God. I do it for me. Oh, it makes you sick, doesn't it? What makes it really appealing, and you saw how big that congregation is, what makes it appealing is that we don't have to change ourselves at all. What we want, what we desire, what we do, how we live. God wants me to be happy. Or putting it in the story of our brothers here. God owes me this. The young man who leaves was convinced he needed his freedom, that this would make him happy. And you know, for a short time it did. He had a great time. He had friends. He had money. He had the good life. But eventually he becomes penniless. And at the same time a famine strikes. And he's there feeding carob pods to the pigs. Very degrading for a Jewish man. He wishes he could have some, but nobody gives it to him. Finally realizes that he's walked away from the best situation he's ever been in. And he says to himself, I'm going to go home. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to ask to be a day laborer in my dad's household. Was he just, again, looking to use his father to improve his circumstances? The cynic in me says, you know what? He hasn't changed completely. He still says, you know what? I want what the Father can do for me because I'm starving here and I won't be there. He does seem to have a sense, though, that he needs to be with his Father. But Nick, you keep speaking about this younger son... It's not really appropriate for me because I haven't run away. Well, yes, but neither did the older brother. And when the younger brother returns, as we've seen, we see the older brother's true colors. You should have at least given me a goat so that I could throw a party, Dad. I have slaved for you all these years, you Oh me, you should be taking care of me. It's not you at the center, it's me. And not only does he stand there very egotistical, self-centered, he also stands there with a chip on his shoulder. And the chip on his shoulder is because the father doesn't play that game. God doesn't play the game of thinking that we are at the center of the universe. Yes, he, he is generous and gracious to us, but at the end of the day, he is God. 
What's wrong with approaching our relationship with God from this way? Well, it's, it's all about God's stuff. We, I've said this so many times. It's about what we can get from God rather than God himself. Um, the Bible says that, that God calls us to love him with all of our hearts and mind and strength. But when something lesser than God takes pride of place in our hearts, when something other than God stands at the center of, of our desires and our longing, we are actually just being idolaters. Um, and it's not that these lesser things are necessarily bad or evil things in and of themselves. Tim Keller um, from, I think, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in the U.S. says, idols are good things turned into ultimate things. For example, family is not a bad thing. And yet Jesus is on record as saying that whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. God says, I am the most important. It's not bad to want to be with God in heaven. When heaven comes down to earth, who wants to be in heaven? Anyone? Anyone? Hands up? Yay? Um, John Piper. <laughs> John Piper says, People who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. You see, the story of the sons here is the story of idolatry deep down. It's the story of life from God where God is just the one who gives. And ultimately, we value what he gives more than the giver. I could say amen right now, but let's finish on a positive note. Because this young son comes home. He, he realizes he doesn't have any chance of sponging off dad completely. He's going to have to work for his keep. He's going to be a day laborer. He's going to perhaps eke out that final bit of uh, familial love from his family so that he can wrangle a job that he doesn't deserve. You know, at the end of the day, what motivates him to come back doesn't really matter. Because the father is standing there looking for him, and when he sees him coming from a long way off, he runs. And the joy of having this jerk come back is just overwhelming. And this young man must have looked a terrible sight. He'd been feeding pigs, he's got no shoes on, he's bedraggled, and and the father gives him gifts. He gives him a, a robe. He gives him a ring so that you know, the ring is quite important. It's not just, a, oh, you've got a ring on your finger. It's, it's the, probably the, the familial ring, meaning that he can transact business on behalf of the family. The father says, yeah, have the ring back. He says, yeah, have the robe. Have some sandals for your feet. Come on, let's have a party. I've been saving that cow up since you left, boy. Come on, let's go. Let's celebrate. What matters here isn't what the son has done or the way he's treated his father. 
what matters here isn't even that he has treated his dad as a vending machine in the past. What matters is that he realizes that he needs to be with his father and that that is the only place where he can survive. And he comes back and the father says to the older brother, the the other jerk, he says, you know what? It was necessary that we threw a party, verse 32, because your younger brother was dead and is now alive again. And he looks at the older brother who's going, that's my money, Dad. I mean, we don't read those words, but can you not see that between the lines? That's my money. It's my share of the inheritance. You give it to this man? No, says the father, it was necessary. What is the loss of all that wealth compared to the return of this brother of yours? You know, looking at God, we can, we can see him two ways. We can see him as a means to an end, a means to happiness and safety and eternal life and success. And don't we so often sell Christianity that way as well? Come to Jesus and all of your problems will go away. Is your family life messed up? Then you need Jesus. Are you struggling with a problem? You need Jesus. Do you want to go to heaven? You need Jesus. And they're all good things to say and they're all true. But Jesus is more than just a solution to our problems. He is the way to the Father. You know what? It's not about how God can solve my problems so much as whether I can be with God. You see the difference? It's slight and there's truth in both sides, but one says it's about me. The other says, you know what? It's about God. It's not what God can give me. It's about whether I can be with Him. And when we come to that point and we realize I don't really deserve to be here, God surprises us. He wraps His arms around us and He blesses us and He says, Welcome home. There are parties in heaven like you just would not believe. And there's going to be a really big one when Jesus comes to take us home to be with him. Jesus came. God graciously provides so much for us. He pours the rain on the godly and the ungodly. Jesus came to call us home. What we need is not more stuff. What we need is to be with our Father. Amen. Life from God is wonderful, but it's not the ultimate.
Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that can ever satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing, no turning back. I've been set free, Christ is enough for me, Christ is enough for me, everything I need is in you, everything I need, Christ my all in all joy of my salvation and this hope will never fail heaven is our home through every song my soul will sing Jesus is here to God be the glory Christ is enough for me, Christ is enough for me, everything I need is in you, everything I need, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me, everything I need is in you, everything I need, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back.